0: specifically Medicare's bundled payments for care improvement, or BPCI demonstration. With me to discuss the topic is Mr. Clay Richards, CEO of NaviHealth, one of the nation's largest conveners of BPCI episodes. Mr. Richards, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Mr. Richards' bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, CMS began fielding bundled Medicare payments or bundled reimbursements in the early 1990s when the agency introduced a cabbage or coronary artery bypass graft demonstration. Under ACA authority, in 2013, CMS began its five-year BPCI demonstration. That includes 48 DRGs or diagnosis-related groups ranging from AMIs or um, uh, myocardial infarctions to urinary tract infections under four models of care. The most prevalent of these, Model 2, is designed to include an anchor hosp- inpatient hospital stay with a post-acute follow-up care ranging from 30 to 90 days. CMS has subsequently introduced other bundled payment demos. In 2016, CMS introduced the um, Comprehensive Care for Joint Replacement That's focused on 90-day lower extremity joint replacements or hip and knee replacement surgeries and a six-month oncology care bundle. Because the BPCI concludes this coming September, stakeholders are expecting CMS to announce a continuation of the BPCI in the near term. Whether bundled payments reduce spending and improve quality are, of course, what these Medicare Part A and B payment demonstrations are attempting to learn. The most recent BPCI evaluation, its third, authored by the Lewin Group, was recently released. The report's findings, however, were inconclusive. With me to again discuss bundled payments, specifically the BPCI, is again Clay Richards. So Clay, with that as uh, intro, uh, let me uh, begin by asking you to briefly describe Navi Health's bundled payment work.
1: Sure. Sure. so, NaviHealth, um, we, we founded the company in uh, early 2012 um, with the real goal of transforming how um, patients um, experience post-acute care. We work with both uh, health systems and um, health plans, uh, as well as other providers, physicians, and post-acute providers, um, to really create a patient centered experience around post-acute care um, starting at the um, admission into a hospital and really uh, coordinating that care episode across the acute stay into the post-acute stay and then ultimately back to home or community. Um, We were one of the um, early adopters. Um, um, You know, certainly um, we participated in the first phase of uh, bundled payments, BPCI. Um, that launched in 2014, we signed up in 2013, and then went live with 10 hospitals in 2014, and and we're really on the um, bleeding edge of this. Um, Since that time, uh, we've expanded to to now, we work with um, almost 50 different hospitals across the country. Um, We manage both uh, medical cases as well as procedural cases, um, and have had great success. Um, working with our hospital partners across bundle payments. I think, in fact, we're probably the largest um, hospital-based convener um, in the program today.
0: Thank you. I think I did read on your website that you're handling approximately 40,000 annual episodes. Probably just just
1: north of 40,000.
0: Okay, thank you. So just to be uh, clear, could you just briefly tell us uh, or define for us convener?
1: Sure. So under the, under the Bundle Payment program, um, convener is a is a term of art um, used to basically describe the role of a um, a third party convener is what we, we are. Um, we contract directly with CMS um, to manage um, these episodes of care. Uh, for us, those are 90 day episodes. Um, as you mentioned earlier, there are different conditions that you can select to manage. Um, and so we work with our hospital partners, which is, quote, the episode initiator. So the episode initiator is where um, basically to, to participate in a bundle, you need a, either a physician group or a hospital or a post-acute provider where the patient's episode begins. Um, so in our role as convener, we do a couple of things. So um, we manage uh, all of the, the data that comes in from CMS, which you can imagine is a uh, tremendous amount of, of, of multiple data files um, on the uh, claims data. We basically set up what's called the implementation protocols, which is defines all of your clinical uh, model that you're going to deploy uh, with your provider partners. Um, and then for us, we deploy the clinical resources and the technology. So in, in every market, um, we have deployed our... Um, technology and analytics, um, which we refer to as PREDICT, which is basically the the, um, analytics we use to drive care pathways. And then, importantly, we also um, invest in local market clinical resources um, to work directly with the hospital um, team in caring and coordinating care for that patient. And then we extend those clinical services into the post-acute community, working directly with uh, the post-acute providers, the patient, um, and then their um, basically support team, uh, whether that's family or other care support members.
0: Great. Thank you. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, you share in the financial risk.
1: We do. Um, so in all of our, um, as part of bundle payments, um, it is a, it is a risk-based model where you guarantee CMS as the payer Um, a 2% savings off of the historical episode spend. Um, We basically are a risk partner with our providers in that, um, both up and downside. Um, And really that's been, we found very important um, since we started, we wanted to ensure that our interests were aligned um, and that the way, you know, ultimately we recoup our cost and then make margin is by delivering on that that value proposition and savings uh, for CMS.
0: So you have skin in the game, as they say. Let's go to results. Um, sure. Can you briefly uh, give us an overview of your results to date? I mentioned uh, Model 2 is the most uh, prevalent uh, amongst the four. Of course, we're down to three now. And, uh, and then within Model 2, when we are talking about results, most of these are, again, uh, um, hip and knee results or the acronym uh, used is MJRLEs, or Major Joint Replacement Lower Extremities. So when we're talking results, we're talking largely hip and knee replacements. But what have been your results uh, today? Let's talk about uh, first uh, the financial, uh, and then let's go to
1: quality. Sure. So... Um From a financial standpoint, um, our annual savings have produced more than $2,000 in savings per episode over the 90-day episode, um, which results in basically a um, double-digit savings on the um, post-acute care spending, so everything outside of that acute care DRG um, we've consistently produced um, in excess of of 10% savings. Um, and, and one thing I'll, I'll mention, in, a, in addition to really diverse set of episodes that we manage, um, being both medical as well as procedural cases, um, we also operate in a, in a variety of demographic markets. So um, we do work in some very urban um, markets that are more heavily penetrated with Medicare Advantage and, and kind of more um, sophisticated markets, I'm saying that in quotes. Um, but then we also, with some of our partners, work in very rural um, markets that um, are are heavy duals, Medicare, Medicaid duals population. Um, and the great thing is we've seen those results, you know, really um, across multiple conditions, but also working with multiple partners in really different um, environments and in, in very different markets. So. Um, all that to say, we feel confident that the bundle payment program is one that scales across both urban and rural um, markets, if you're willing to make the, the investments in the, in the clinical uh, redesign, which we have done with our partners.
0: I appreciate, so, your, I just to interrupt, I appreciate you making that point, because if you, in reading the evaluation, uh, what uh, Lewin found was most of the participation was in larger, more affluent uh, populations or regions. You're saying you've worked across the board.
1: We have, and um, I think that's part of, um, you know, when when folks have um, commented on bundled payments, a lot of the feedback has been, well, it works for the more um, urban markets, larger hospitals. Um, We've actually seen that, you know, we've seen, Demonstrated success across both urban and, and rural markets, but it does require um, it does require conveners like Nava Health as well as our hospital partners to really make those investments into um, care care redesign.
0: On the on the your comment about plus plus ten percent in post acute savings, that's really where uh, it appears the opportunity is in that. We know Medicare across the board, there's high variation in post-acute spending, and that's certainly what the evaluators have found in that um, uh, most of the decline against the benchmark has been to uh, lower payments for post-acute care, particularly SNFs or inpatient post-acute SNFs and ERFs, and then yeah. as well in home health. That's been your experience.
1: It has. I mean, if you think about the um, payments associated with the 90-day episode, the acute stay is a is really fixed in the sense that you're getting a DRG payment. Um, so, you know, the ability to really impact a lot of the cost in the hospital um, is going to be pretty small outside of, you know, maybe some, some changes in your Part B payments. But your large DRG payment, again, is, is fixed and and assuming the pricing is accurate, would have been reflected in the baseline. So, you know, the real opportunity and where we see a lot of clinical variance is how you manage uh, that episode when the patients leave the hospital. Um, and, you know, we have um, we've seen results depending on the market um, really across the board. I mean, reducing readmissions, um, reducing... Um, Uh, length of stay um, in skilled nursing facilities. And I want to say doing that in a way that doesn't sacrifice quality. One of the things we always look at is are the patients improving from a functional status um, at the rate, you know, they were before. And absolutely we've continued to see high functional gains. We've continued to see these patients be able to return back to the community in a highly functioning way. And they're doing it without bouncing back to the hospital. Um, And that's, that's a, you know, it's you got a part of that is working with all of the various stakeholders in a market. So that means working really tightly with the discharge planning team at the hospital. Um, we also, in all markets, set up basically high-quality provider networks of post-acute providers. So we rely heavily on the good work that they're doing um, with their clinical teams and, and their discharge teams to ensure that you know when the patient does leave that post-acute um, setting that there is a good care plan for the patient to return home, a safe discharge, um, and that we've got the appropriate follow-up care um, embedded in, in our plan.
0: The uh, Back to Lou, and thank you for that. Back to Lou, and they noted that overall there was some increase in ED use and readmissions, although they said that that was statistically uh, not significant. Let me ask you one of the um, more um, debated aspects of, of this Uh, particularly in hips and knees that are not fractures. So these would be termed uh, preference-sensitive conditions. So you're saving at the unit uh, cost, say, per episode. But the question begged, and interestingly not addressed by Lewin, which is to what extent is overall volume uh, the same uh, or not increased? Uh, The BPCI um, Lewin evaluation stated that the evaluation does not include analysis of the impact of BPCI on the volume of clinical episodes. So my question again is, does your work show, or is there evidence to show that um, we're not seeing more episodes uh, beyond whatever savings are accrued per episode?
1: Yeah, and I think you're you're referencing the procedural cases, and I think there's been some commentary that because of, um, and it's primarily be physicians, but because physicians are participating in, in this program, will you see an increase of uh, hip replacements, for example? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have seen absolutely no evidence of that. Um, in, in fact, um, you know, because you are competing against your historical baseline, um, and th- there's a lot of factors that go into determining admitting the patient for that procedure. We, we just have not seen any year-over-year year changes in the volume of procedures, um, especially elective procedures that have come through our hospitals.
0: Let me ask about um, what's, this is the gain-sharing question, the evaluation showed that there was some amount of gain-sharing, not much. Uh, in your experience, what extent is there a gain-sharing between the hospital and physicians, and or the post-acutes? Um, have you seen, or, or is, is that highly valued in your arrangements?
1: So I think it depends on the condition. Um, and most of my comments will be centered around physicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been the majority of where we've done gain share. For post-acute providers, as I mentioned, we've really focused on um, looking at high-quality networks and rewarding those higher quality um, uh, providers by, you know, looking to to continue to send them patients um, on an ongoing basis. So with physicians, I think it's mixed. I I think um, certainly you've seen it with orthopedic cases a a fair amount. and I think you've seen some success in that area. We've done it with some hospitalists in certain models, which has been successful. Um, I think the biggest challenge right now is, and I, and I hope this will be addressed in um, in the second phase of BPci, is so much of the reconciliation is delayed, and so you really sh- struggle to uh, reward the physician in real time for the work they're doing, because your reconciliations are you know nine months delayed, and then you continue to see those amounts change because of Um, trend factors being applied and run out of claims, your ability to really uh, 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 reward those physicians in a timely way is difficult, which I think makes, um, I think the gain share then is is maybe less effective because it's not as much tied to the work that's being done uh, in a more real-time basis. Um, But certainly for procedural cases, we've uh, Adopted gain share, and I think it's it's been a great way to, especially for uh, community-based physicians, to really align on ensuring we're getting better quality outcomes for those patients.
0: Okay, uh, thank you. This this lag or time to you know is is a problem throughout all of CMS's uh, let's term them advanced payment models. In fact. In some instances, the delay is, is far more than uh, nine months. You mentioned, uh, and I did as well in the intro, we're expecting CMS to announce an advanced, uh, BPCI or, uh, maybe they'll term it BPCI plus because that's how they've termed other demos. They've continued. What, what would be your recommendations other than maybe improving, uh, the, reducing the time lag? What would be some of your recommendations for improving BBCI, should it, and as we expect it to, go forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, I expect it to be announced, um, frankly, any day now. Right. Um, So I think the the biggest um, issue we have had, being part of a public company but also working with public companies um, who really want to participate in this program, is stable and predictable pricing um and part of this is as you know your your pricing is set but then it is adjusted for trend factors and other things and that's done on a retrospective basis so you you may complete a quarter um but you actually don't get the full pricing for that quarter until you know 6 to 9 months later and then that pricing continues to adjust um based on trend that that makes it really tough um to be able to predict how you're performing, okay. um, which, as I mentioned earlier, impacts what you can do with gain share and communicating results to your physician partners. But also as a public company, um, you know, price volatility is just is, is really tough if you're going to participate in this program at scale. Um, so we've been uh, pretty consistent with CMS about the need to, to really look at, um prospective pricing, so when we go into a performance period, we know exactly what the price is, exactly what targets we have to hit uh, from a savings standpoint, and we're measured against that. Um, I think that's uh, probably the biggest thing uh, that we're looking for CMS to address in this next version.
0: Okay, so um, again, as in other uh, demos, it's uh, the benchmark, we'll call it, can be or is a moving target and you do see similar calls for prospective benchmarking, even assignment in some programs, instead of this sort of retrospective uh, reaccounting. Let, let me ask, the other The other problem with these programs tends to be uh, success over time. The program's designed to improve upon historical spending uh, over time. Uh, since you're competing against yourself, there's this sense, if not reality, that you basically time out in effect.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a, it's a good point. I mean, that's the second part of this pricing equation is um, how do you incorporate some type of um, regional or national benchmark so that um, you're really not uh, impairing high quality providers from participating. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you've done a good, if, say if you've been an early adopter and you've participated in this program and you've seen really strong results, um, you don't want to have this for those high quality providers to also participate in this program. So I think similar to what um, CMS has done with some other programs is, how do you think about a, a regional component to the pricing so that you're not competing 100 percent against uh, your good results?
0: Right, and ACOs now incorporated a a historical-slash-regional-blend formula. Right. Let me me ask, we're we're about out of time, but this is an interesting aspect. Personally, would your preference be a regional or a national um, benchmark? And CMS is not consistent on this. In some programs, it's national. For example, ACOs get a national update, uh, but again, there's the regional-historical blend. Do you have a preference one way or the other?
1: I don't. I mean, it all depends on how the regional pricing is set. So if you go back to TJR, I mean, part of the challenge is you would have a, um, a a urban market like Miami would be priced the same way as a very um, uh, midsize or, or more rural market in Virginia because of the regional pricing. So I, I think somehow you have to accommodate some of the pricing differential in those markets. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, though, you you know, so so whether that's uh, with a blunt national pricing or you incorporate um, some weighting for regional pricing, I actually think and actuaries can do this um, in a way that you could take components of your own experience, regional as well as national, to blend that together to get a fair price so that you have incentives um, to go generate more savings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I, so, I, and I think that would. Again, part of this is if we understand what, if the pricing is set fairly and we have confidence that that pricing is stable, I think you would, you would get a lot of participation because we've proven the model works and that um, not just from a financial standpoint, but really from a quality of care and from an experience uh, for these Medicare beneficiaries. I think the biggest challenge to scaling the program is, is predictability and stability of pricing.
0: Thank you. We're at our time limit. I will say, unfortunately, it would have been interesting to ask you, and maybe we'll do it at another call about the private or commercial market as it relates to bundling. Sure. Uh, but with that, uh, Clay, I'll say thank you for your time. You've been very generous. Uh, interesting discussion. Uh, very appreciative. Best of luck with uh, the next round of BPCI.
1: Thanks so much.
0: You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricaso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program,
1: please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.